Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisnicks. Listeners, I'm so excited to be joined by yet another member of the Chipped Cup Collective, Juliet Kemp. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we've been talking about having you on the show for like half a year now, I think, something like that. Who knows? Well, Time is yep, fake. about that. <laughs> Uh, and and I'm so happy that it's actually happening now. Yes, now I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to uh, start off with a reading from Between Stars, Between Minds. Uh, is there anything that we need to know about this going into it? Um, yeah, I don't actually... Okay. Is there anything to, we need to know going into it? Um, I don't think so, because this is the pretty much the start of the book. Um, I think I've skipped a couple of pages. So it's set on a space station, um, and our, our hero, uh, Derry, has just woken up. Fabulous. Okay, yes. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, from Between Stars, Between Minds. Derry sipped at the coffee relishing the sweet edge that hit after the bitterness. Her head was better now, but she was still feeling weirdly antsy. Admittedly, the caffeine might not be helping. Her eyes kept going to the screen on the big left wall, showing the starscape as you'd see it if you could look in that direction straight through the body of the station and outwards. Hmm. Taff was fond of it. Derry wasn't usually bothered one way or the other. But the last few days, she kept looking at it, kept noticing the other starscapes in other parts of the station, where usually they were just background noise kept thinking about being out there, somewhere, somewhere different. She could leave when Toru did. Once he was back from the jaunt, he was apparently planning around the system for whatever arcane collective purpose. (laughs) She blinked, shook her head a little. Leaving? Where the hell had that come from? The idea caught at her, shocking in its sudden urgency. Fine, she'd been antsy for a while, but up and leaving? The last ten years, it had always been Suong was the one after moving on from wherever they were. Derry just shrugged and came along for the ride. But Suong was here for a while yet, while Air Current Project either came to a successful conclusion or was abandoned as without hope. Although if it worked, that would be one way of both of them getting out of here on the cheap. (laughs) She could go now if she wanted. Go alone. Suong wouldn't hold it against her. Uh, Maybe she was wrong, and the drive project was closer to an end, positive or negative, than Derry thought it was based on Suong's elliptical comments. (laughs) <laughs> and in any case, Toru was going to be in and out in a couple of weeks at most. She couldn't up sticks with a couple of weeks' notice, not really. She could, if she wanted to. They'd done it before, her and Swong, on a whim. Just Swong's whim, always, before. She found herself reaching for her tablet to look up the next few months of Star Collective runs and made herself stop. What was wrong with her? She didn't want to leave. And if she did, if her feet really were getting itchy, she could, should, had to... Stay put for another year or so. Let Swong run Air Project out. She pulled her hand away from her pocket. What you watching? She asked Taff. The wall screen sound was off, but Taff had the captions on, and whoever was speaking was saying, It may be reasonable to offer some extra support for the outer systems, but the Amalgamated Council already provides subsidised services. Oh, God, he <laughs> said, and put her head back down on the bar. Council discussing support for the outer systems, Taff said unnecessarily. Why bother watching? They've been arguing this forever. Nothing changes. As far as Derry could tell, the whole resource traffic allocation thing never could be resolved. The hub was easy to get to, multiple jump points. The outer systems, defined by their one jump point apiece, weren't. A physical truth that couldn't be overcome by argument, politics or subsidies. Someone from Setters 40 was saying they reckoned the Star Collective is in bed with the hub worlds and that's why nothing ever changes. Hmm. Derry's back stiffened. That's rubbish, 
she said tersely. The collective's independent. They don't come out here as often as they might, Taff said. Single jump routes are harder, more expensive, she said. Which was true enough, but back when she'd been in the collective, she'd been one of the ones arguing for making the trips more often anyway and hang the subsidies. <laughs> it didn't matter. She'd been out of the collective for a decade. Defending them wasn't her job anymore, and nor were their policies, however wrong or right they were. She scowled down at the plastic surface of the bar, restlessness roiling in her stomach. Eh. It was just a bad night's sleep. That was all. Mm. I've been there, she remembered. Set us 40. Oh, really? Taff had spent their entire life in Lyra's system and most of it on board the station and found Derry's travel history endlessly interesting. What's it like? Mountains. Fields. <laughs> Some kind of blue dairy animal? Derry frowned. I think they eat them too. Erg, said station-born Taff, who'd ever, only ever eaten that meat. <laughs> Very few people, Derry said. Pretty dull once you get over, over all the mountains and wide open skies and that. Interesting local language, though. Languages had been her speciality in the collective. Languages and comms. At least comms always came in handy. Everyone in the station spoke standard. Sky's weird, Taff <laughs> said. Whenever we visit Gina's family planet side, she goes on about it. Makes me antsy. Give me a ceiling any day. <laughs> you going to leave that on? Derry asked. Taff shrugged. Not if it bothers you. You should eat something, by the way. You should sod off and do something else, such as, for example, minding your own business now that I'm on shift. No point both of us hanging around here. True, true, Taff said cheerfully. I will do, once I've seen you get something out of the dispenser. They gestured at the end of the bar, and Derry scowled and went to punch out a protein bar. She wasn't in the mood for food you had to think about the taste of. <laughs> You're my boss, not my parent. Gonna look bad for my bar if you pass out on top of it, Taff said. <laughs> Plus, I want to be sure I'm really off duty, thanks all the same. They looked sideways at Derry. Talking of my bar. Oh, come on, Taff. I got like three hours sleep. You can't be asking me to make life decisions right now. <laughs> Taff shrugged. Yeah, well, that's all very well. But as far as I can tell, you don't want to make life decisions ever. That cut uncomfortably close to home. Derry made an indeterminate noise and shoved a chunk of protein bar in her mouth to avoid having to speak. Look, if you don't want to buy in, that's fine. And it's not like it's imminent or anything. But I promised Gina I'd take a couple of years off to mind the kids so she can go back to college. So if you're not interested, I need to find someone else who is. I don't mind managing it for you, Derry mumbled. Yeah, I know, but I want a manager who's got a stake, right? Because I don't want to wind up needing a new manager in a year's time. Taff folded their arms. So I'm going to need you to make a decision. Either way. Not just let things drift the way we both know you'd rather. <laughs> it ought to be a no-brainer. Derry worked here. She liked it here. She could do the job. But the idea of tying herself here, buying into the bar, owning it and having that sort of responsibility. It wouldn't have to be forever. It wouldn't even have to be for two more years. She ought to jump at it. She really ought. She just... Taff was frowning at her. Look, maybe. Someone stepped through the hatch door and Taff shook their head slightly and broke off, turning to greet them. Derry took another slurp of coffee and leant sideways to take a look. Hmm. Her stomach flipped even before she could properly see the visitor's face. There you are then, Derry Mad. Long time no see, hey? Derry would have known Pilar across a darkened room from the back of her head alone. Always would know her that way even if it was ten years since they'd been in the same room. Ten years and two months just over. Not that she'd been keeping track. What she didn't know was what the hell Pilar was doing here. She cut her glossy dark hair short, and she was wearing a dark green knit tunic and grey trousers with green flowers round the bottom. Pilar always had liked that colour. The engaged withdrawals ship pin gleamed on her shoulder. Once upon a time, Derry and Pilar had swapped pins. Not that Pilar would have kept that one after <laughs> Derry left... And Derry had handed her own back on her way off the ship when she'd left the collective. The last time she'd seen Pilar, or heard from her. Hmm. Pilar, here and now, was smiling at her, a little tentative, not quite reaching her eyes, waiting for a response. As I live and breathe, Derry said, hoping Pilar hadn't noticed the hesitation. She should hop over the bar, 
go to Pilaf, give her a hug. Shouldn't she? Should she? It had been 10 years and they hadn't exactly parted on the best of terms, but here Pilar was, smiling at her, sort of. She gripped the edge of the bar with one hand, hard, and slugged coffee with the other. What's up then? I didn't see the engaged withdrawal on the manifest. And there was no way she would have missed it. <laughs> Pilar grimaced and Derry's unease spiked. I'm not on the withdrawal right now. I'm on a courier, the concept brick, if you know her. This is one of her regular stops, Derry agreed. Gareth comes up here for a drink once in a while. Don't know any of the rest of them particularly. Hang on, you've changed chips. Hmm. Derry wouldn't have thought you would get Pilar out of the withdrawal with a crowbar and half a tonne of dynamite. <laughs> but people changed, didn't they? And that would at least explain why she was here. But that was a withdrawal ship pen. And now she came to think of it, if the concept brick was in, why wasn't Toru here? <sighs> Hell no, Pilar said. Just a passenger. Oliver's standing in for me on the withdrawal. Can't say I like being off board, mind. <sighs> Oliver? Shit, he'd only been an apprentice when Derry left and now he was competent enough to stand in for Pilar? <sighs> Pilar was picking at her thumbnail. She always had had really obvious tells, made it easy to beat her at poker. <laughs> Didn't Toru tell you? Tell me what? Her stomach sank. He fell ill, out back at Aliope. The brick and the withdrawal were both there, so he broke me in as his replacement, but he said he'd been in touch with you? Pilar was looking deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> he has. About him coming, not about... Derry pulled her comm out of her pocket and saw the notification. She pulled open the message, Toru, yes, and scanned it. Right, well, it turns out he did, and I only just saw it. The rotten shit had timed it so she'd see it at the last minute, so she wouldn't have a chance to tell him Pilar could sort her own damn ship out. Sorry, thought if I warned you ahead of time you'd pull out and that would be a nuisance. The message said brightly, and wasn't that just like him? He was trying to peacemake between her and Pilar. Peacemake. Stir. Whatever. <laughs> Pilar was shifting a little from foot to foot, visibly uncomfortable. Was this an exciting surprise for both of them? Can I buy you a drink or something? She offered, smiling awkwardly at Derry. Ten years, with not a sniff of her, not so much as a message, and now she was here offering to buy drinks? Derry wondered what Pilar would do if she said... No, if she marched Pilar right back out of here and waved her a fond farewell. Too late now, really. And too much of a giveaway. Derry wasn't about to show Pilar that old hurt, thanks all the same. And she had told Toru she'd sort him out a ship and it would be petty as hell to withdraw the offer just because it was Pilar. Even if she was going to rip him a new one the moment she got the chance. <laughs> I work here, she said instead. I'm on shift right now even. Pretty sure I'm the one should be offering you a drink. On the house. Taff put in, making no attempt to pretend they hadn't been listening. <laughs> Coffee, tea, something stronger. Derry, don't worry about your shift. You go sit down and catch up with your friend. On you go. I'll get you something too. Derry nobly resisted the urge to ask for whiskey straight up. This is Pilar, she said instead. We were on the same, same ship back when I was with the collective. That missed most of the high points, but Derry wasn't keen to review any of them in front of Taff or otherwise. Pilar, this is Taff. Owns a place. A boss. Pilar and Taff politely shook hands, and Pilar agreed that she could use a tea. Derry could see the gleam of curiosity in Taff's eyes and resigned herself to intensive interrogation at a later stage. She grit her teeth and led Pilar over to a booth. This was the last fucking thing she needed, but hopefully she and Pilar could have a nice... Nice... Half hour of catching up. Then Derry could sort her a ship and she could go off to do whatever it was she was doing instead of Toru and it would all be over. Half an hour. It was fine. It would be fine. And I will stop there. Oh, that was delightful. Oh my gosh. I was already sold when it was just like you know, light politics and domestic life on a space station, <laughs> and then there were exes, and... <laughs> yeah, I think that was, I think was, that was where that novel started, that kind of, you know, your, your, ex, your ex walking into your bar kind of thing. 
Oh. And after this, after this, various other things happen, including um, suspicious uh, aliens who turn out to have been around before, and everyone sort of forgot about them. And and now they're back, and uh, Derry is quite fundamentally involved in it. <laughs> I. So uh, when when we are recording this, uh, the first season of Star Wars Andor just wrapped up, and. Uh, this this scratched that same itch for me of being a world that is just fundamentally lived in. in... Oh, it's good to know. I haven't seen I haven't seen Andor. Sadly, I've been had it re- recommended by so many people. I've got it on the list. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Uh, my my contractual mention here, not of friends at the table, but of a, another Austin Walker project. Uh, if you're if you're a podcast listener and you're watching Andor, you should be listening to a more civilized age talking about Andor as well, because you know you get a forty-minute episode and then you get two mm-hmm. hours of them talking about the forty-minute episode to <laughs> sort of just extend that high. Oh, brilliant! I shall uh, I shall add that to my uh, to my list for when I get around to watching Andor. Excellent, um, and of uh, course yeah, links no, will be in the show notes. Lived in is a very nice. Yeah, fundamentally lived in is a very nice thing to hear because I, I like I really I'm into that sort of world world building. I you know I want it to feel that way. Yeah. Uh, so, talk to me a little bit about sort of the the process of this novel and how it came to be a thing that you wrote and then came to be a thing that just stopped being pursued as much. Yes, I actually, I went and looked at my um, kind of notes and files and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I have a backup from October 2015. So I think I must have at least started it before that. Mm-hmm. Um, my kid, who is now 10, was born in 2012. So there is definitely a period of a couple of years around then where my memory is a bit, it's not the mm-hmm. best. Because he didn't sleep for some years. Um, so I think I must have been writing it when he was very small. Um, and then I have a kind of outline, which I strongly suspect is a reverse outline from mm-hmm. 2016. So as I say, I think I, I think it had started off with this kind of, um, you know, your, your ex walks into a bar. And I think the, the um, mind control aliens were in some way there uh, from the start. But it, it started off as almost more of a sort of space heist novel. We um, love this. <laughs> Um, and the other kind of crucial piece when I um, started writing it was uh, my space anarchists. Um, I've actually written a couple of short stories in this world, one of which which was published back in 2014 in a political science fiction anthology. But the idea oh, is that the cool. people who run into um, sort of interstellar travel are a kind of anarchist collective and they're the ones who who own the ships and run all of that. And then they exist alongside this um world with uh I, it came up a little bit in the uh um, in the extract uh this kind of you know sort of hub worlds and outer worlds and how those things um engage and the relationship between the anarchist spaces uh, mm-hmm. and the non-anarchist other worlds um and i wanted to write a whole novel set uh in that uh in that world um and i think my original had more people busting out of jails and things like that <laughs> Um, the, the version that now exists in its entirety, although yes, has sadly been trunk, um, has more focus on the uh, smaller interpersonal stuff and on the uh, mind control aliens um, and slightly fewer kind of space hijinks. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, there can um, there can be, you know, headcanoned AU hijinks and... Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I did manage to finish it. I submitted a version to Angry Robot when they had an open call in 2017, and then I had another kind of bash at it a year mm-hmm. or two later, um, and uh, sent it off to a whole bunch of agents, um, and in and then decided to trunk it when nothing came of that, or at least you know it may it may yet come out, um, yeah. and that was partly because in the as a sort of overlapping timescale, I was also writing a fantasy series, which did get picked up by a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of doing those things at the same time. Um, and the last the last one of that series is coming out in January, which I think maybe when this 
podcast sees sees the world. Yeah. Um, but while I was kind of writing that, I increasingly felt that my writing's like leveled up a bit. And since since I wrote Between Stars, Between Minds, and even since I rewrote it for the nth time, mm-hmm. um, and I started feeling more like I can see too many flaws in it. Um, and mm-hmm. I know there's always an extent to which you look back on your stuff and like, oh, I could do this better. But I'm like, a, but I got to the point where I was like, mm, it's, you know, it starts to, I, I, much so I love that kind of opening scene in a lot of ways. Actually, I think it starts a bit too slowly and there's not enough, uh, there aren't enough stakes early on. There's not enough of a hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, I haven't, I, I sort of know what I wanted to do with the mind control alien thing and what I was trying to get at, but I don't think I quite, pulled it off mm-hmm. so whilst i would still kind of love i would still love to write a novel in this world and i might even love to have another go at this novel um to sort of dust dairy and Pilar off again um mm-hmm. and have have another go at making the aliens work properly uh at the moment i don't i don't want to at the moment i don't think it's there basically um, yeah so for yeah, the moment I... for the moment it's oh, it's off <laughs> i i uh won't say that I failed NaNoWriMo this year because I, one, didn't go in expecting to write a full 50,000 words and two, mm-hmm. wrote words in the month of November, which is a win. Yay! Just in general, anybody who can get words onto the page any month is winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I definitely know the feeling of uh, sort of the just overwhelm of this is a thing that I like and I can see all of the flaws in it and I want to fix them but Christ what a what a project that is yes exactly and as I say I've had other projects on the go at the same time and I've been focused on finishing the fantasy series and I just don't think I can quite do it at the moment and the, the next thing I'm working on is something completely different again so. yeah <laughs> but yeah so maybe maybe it might it might come back again at some time that might be good well I'm if it does and you need a blurb I'll blurb it <laughs> <laughs> I shall certainly hit you up Hillary Bisniak's podcaster uh oh I I I am struggling not to just loop back and make this a Star Wars Andor podcast, but the, <laughs> the the idea that at some point this was more of a heist story is also uh I I love a heist. We we yeah, love a heist. So do, so do I, but you you've got to kind of hit the right things and I was more the first my first drafts are always messy as hell actually. Um mm-hmm. and I remember the first draft of this one when I actually when I took it apart I was like, wow, I've got a whole bunch of pieces here, many of which I like. But they don't entirely kind of work as a coherent whole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and especially, like, I I have consumed a lot of heist media. I have never successfully written a heist because those are, like, so tightly... Like, you have to know mm. every single piece, especially if you're... You know, especially because I think one of the, like one of the sort of essential pieces in a lot of heists is that sort of like, you know, ocean's twist of like, you know, there there's one thing that is that is being held back from the audience and even being held back from the rest of the characters by the mastermind or whatever. Um mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. there's just so much that that needs to happen. Like I I am very drawn to writing the sort of stories that, like, heists and thrillers and and all these sorts Mm. of stories where you just really have to, uh, you have to be so intentional about how you meet out the information. Yeah, it's very, it's that kind of ticking, you know, the sort of ticking clockwork. It has to all um, fit together. I mean, I'm, I, I gather that at least some people who, um, write this sort of thing because you know everyone's different but at least some people kind of can write it through to the end and then go back and do a lot more kind of rearranging of where the information comes out mm-hmm. um, you don't necessarily have to set it up uh, set it up on the way in but yes I find it I find it slightly 
alarming, I guess, almost yeah. uh, to think about because um, plot has plot has always been one of my weaker points. I'm mm-hmm. better with character and dialogue and stuff, and I'm much. I'm, I mean, this is one of the things I said. I think I've leveled up. I think I have got better at plot and making things fit together um, and all of this. And I want to get more better. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think high high thriller type vibes. You've got to kind of hit certain beats. I mean, with a thriller, even more so. You've got to hit certain beats for it to count. Um, yeah. So you really need to know what's doing, and then you need to make your personal version of it fit together. So you get so you get the right time. You get that moment of oh, at the precise you know precisely the right point um, yeah. in the story. And I'm I'm Which, just yeah. out here getting so cool. lost in the sauce of wanting to make the words pretty and or just mm. like you know being being on my behavior about the you know neat things that i'm interested in at that point and then mm. you know i get <laughs> you know 20,000 words farther in and i'm like oh shit how i i didn't set any of this up and then i anxiety spiral <laughs> it's so much fun <laughs> that's oh, that's mental health. kind of why i <laughs> That's kind of why I didn't you mention Nano. It's kind of why I didn't do Nano this year, mm-hmm. um, because I very much enjoy that kind of like getting all the words out and creating a thing. And and uh, like I say, my first drafts are very messy, but I can write them very fast. And the net result of this is that I have a lot of first drafts of things, and slightly mm-hmm. fewer that have made it all the way to a finished uh, product. So this year I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to produce another 50,000 words that can then go yeah. on my kind of the post. It can go on the board as a thing I want to do something with. I'm going to do some bloody editing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, the two nanos that I have won have both been stories where I had a, a neat hook and I had 50,000 words of plot for them, but I did not have a complete plot. And so after November each year, you know, best of intentions, but I just petered out in terms of, oh, now I have to finish the book. I have to know what happens and it has to pay off. No, thank you. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. It's that like, oh, I've got through 50k. That's not actually a full book, is it? Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh... Uh, so we, we've kind of, we've talked about around this a little bit, uh, but you do have a number of actually finished, uh, books, Mm. including this end to a series. Uh, and so I'm wondering if we can, uh, talk a little bit here about, uh, The City Revealed, book four of the Marek series, which is out on the 20th of January, 2023, just uh, the Tuesday Mm -hmm. after this podcast goes live. It, yes, it it is indeed. That's as ebook and then it's out as a paperback a month later because Elspin Presser and e-first publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's the, it's called The City Reveals. Um, and it's the final, fourth and final book in the Marek series, which is my fantasy series, um, which I um, want, always want to call urban fantasy because it's about a city, but it's not urban fantasy because that means something very specific sort of a city. This is, mm-hmm. this is a like sec- secondary world fantasy city um, with kind of Renaissance overtones. That was, that was my sort of implied vibe. And mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, very, it's very queer. It's, um, there's politics and magic and complicated families and complicated relationships. We love and, all of this. And I have had a lovely time writing all four books, and I'm really quite sad that I'm kind of bidding this place and these people farewell. Yeah, um, and That's gotta yeah, be hard. in the it is, it is. It's really, it's really, it feels really weird. I've just finished doing kind of proofs and all that stuff, and it really is sort of it's coming to an end. Um, so yeah, this is the final book, and so a lot of uh, tensions are coming to a head, um, and some issues that have maybe been buried or possibly just ignored are all sort of you know rising up together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sort of lower city are in the throes of borderline revolution. Um, the council who run the city um, are not terribly uh, impressed by this, nor are they dealing with it well. 
mm-hmm. um, Marcia, who's one of my main characters, who is a member of the council, um, is also heavily pregnant, um, <laughs> and her mother's disappeared. Oh no! Um, and the uh, they the city has recently declared it, declared its independence, um, and the people from whom they declared independence are about to show up on the doorstep uh, together with Marcia's sort of long-running enemy. Um, and uh, the, the yes, yeah, so that's the magic. The, there's there's magical complications to all of this as well. Um, and the sorcerers of the city, one of whom is Marcia's uh, lover, and the other one is her son's borderline estranged uh, brother, uh, are going to have to try and fix these these some of these problems while Marcia tries to fix the politics problems and, you know, not give birth at an opportune moment. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds twisty and delightful. uh, And I'm so so here for it. There is a lot, it's it's a lot of chaos at this point. It has built up over the course of the, of the series um, in the Mm -hmm. third book, which was the, obviously the one that is currently most recently outlawed from last year. Um, is where Marcia winds up um, deciding to get pregnant because her mother blackmails her into it. (laughs) Um, And that's where some of the kind of, uh, some of the sort of independence, um, city's independence has kicked off um, and the brewing revolution is beginning to kind of um, sputter to life as well. Uh, So this one, hopefully everything, everything gets paid off at the same time. That's, that's what, that's what I was going for. Like we get to the end and you feel like um, things feel satisfying. Yeah, I, <laughs> I bet. I bet so. I'm I'm very excited for that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm now just like now I'm just thinking about yeah, politics and and queer norm worlds and mm-hmm. just it's all it's just very good. It's just very good. Excellent. Yes, I'm. I'm a big fan of all of the queer. That's uh, that's definitely a theme in my work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, a little bit uh, when you're when you're doing your your uh, messy first draft, like how do you kind of see the end of like, oh, this is a four book series, and I am I am doing a messy first draft of this, uh, and and you I'm... know maybe you don't see the end quite until you've gotten through the first you know three (laughs) rounds of edits or whatever I mean when I wrote the first book it wasn't I didn't I didn't write it as the first one in a series of of x Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote that book and then once I'd finished it I was like oh I can see where I could take the story further Um, and I did uh actually start writing book two while I was shopping book one around um, and then when Elswin picked it up, they were like, we like series. Did you want to write some more? Oh, um, uh-huh. But at that point, it, was, it wasn't it was a kind of this is book one of a trilogy or as it mm-hmm. turned out, a quadrology. Um, <laughs> the, tetralogy. Uh, it was, yeah, tetral. Thank you. I knew that was there was a word that wasn't, wasn't that one. Uh, yes. Yeah, no. Only um, Alien gets to be a quadrilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't kind of thinking of it... Um, as that I was a, uh, I was thinking of it as a fairly open-ended kind of I'm going to keep writing and see um, see where this goes so it, in theory mm-hmm. at least each book has a, you know is, is at least a bit self-contained mm-hmm. um, you know thinking of some of the kind of authors I like who've worked a lot that way like uh, Lois McMaster Bujol being one of the um, mm-hmm. ones I'm particularly fond of you know she just wrote she's written a bunch of a bunch of stories in the same world and she kind of keeps going I presume until she runs out of ideas yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. But when like, I got to Bushold and Pratchett are the the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, but then I got to the end of book three, and it, at that point, I was like, actually, I can kind of feel that this is that this set of arcs, if you will, is kind of mm-hmm. coming. I can see a place. I can take it. And I mean, I you know, I could if I wanted to, I could definitely write some more in this world. But partly, I feel that four books is sort of enough, and I would quite like to write some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, career-wise, sort of start about, start thinking about doing some other stuff and um, yeah, stretching other muscles. Uh, so at that point, um, book three, I wrote with an eye to where I was heading. I knew where I wanted to be heading 
in mm-hmm. the end I knew what I was setting up and book four I definitely had to write with like I know I'm trying to finish everything off um right. so in terms of my messy first drafts I've got a, when I started out like 10 years ago or whatever when I was first writing novel length pieces things um I did not outline at all mm-hmm. um and the result of that was a certain amount of chaos and quite a few sort of 20 to 40,000 word things that just sort of stop. Uh I can, the, I can, the momentum I find can get me in about, you know, 20, 30,000 words of like kind of setting stuff up and world building and Mm -hmm. characters and all that stuff. And then I'm like, now something needs to happen. Something more needs, they have to be going. Oh, shit. (laughs) Um, so I have got a little, I'm still definitely not a planner and I'm, and I'm, but I have got to the point where I can do something that approximates an outline that has like a beginning, a middle and an end. So mm-hmm. I have some notion of where I'm writing towards. And then I can do a first draft, which usually abandons the outline about halfway through. Yeah. Uh, but I at least have some notion in my head of kind of, this is where I'm going. And then after I've got 70,000 words of stuff in a big pile, yeah. Like that's my my mental model of it is all the words are just in a big pile and then you have to kind of pull them apart and put them back together again. Um, and at that, that point, kind I of do a, things a like a map at least, if not a clear destination on the map. Yeah, exactly. So I've got some idea of where everything is, and then I can start doing sort of reverse outline and the the uh, murder board idea that I think Macy um, mm-hmm. Mace introduced me to. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was gonna say like. Murderboarding is uh, was something that I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna bring this up, and then we passed by it, and then you brought it up, and yeah, yeah. No, it's brilliant. I I don't actually have room in my in my room to do an actual on the wall thing, but mm-hmm. what I what I have got is a really large sheet of kind of a one or something paper that I can fo- unfold and stick post it notes all over. So it's mm-hmm. like a sort of Port- portable murder board. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I shove all the post-it notes all over and rearrange them and re-outline and um, uh, do, a se- do a second draft, which is, I think, the sort of thing that most people would call a proper first draft, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I probably got something that looks approximately like a story which actually fits together and, and then I need to tighten it all up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I so I, that has but that that process has been a while coming to fruition. Like I've done a lot of experimenting. Definitely, I I can't say that I do a proper physical murder board, but often when I get to the the beginning of the third act of my stories, I do just call a Macy and say, "Macy, fix my story for me, please." <laughs> That's a good option. And then we, you know, have a sit down for a little while and muse over it. And Macy says something very smart and I say something that's kind of dumb. And then I figure out the the smart thing that is not the direction that Macy said at all, but was, you know, and, and that's the process. Out, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. It is, yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I have once or twice tried that. I have once or twice tried doing like a proper outline from the start and it that just doesn't work well for me i spent yeah. a lot of time once kind of being like i'm going to outline this book properly and then i still got halfway through and went off the rails yeah um, and i was and i was fine with that like i liked what i ended up with but i was uh, but i hadn't gained anything from spending longer in the outline mm-hmm. phase so the sort of the sort of half-assed outline um to to start with works well for me and then just accepting that i can write 70,000 words in, you know, a couple of months. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then it's going to take me three times that long to edit it into something that I can then do do something with, you know, send off to at least three times as long to send mm-hmm. it into something I can send to a publisher or to an agent or whatever. So that's, I have come to terms with that because there was definitely a while where I was like, if I can write it in that length of time, surely I can edit it in that length of time. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> that's just how that now. Just got to kind of, no, just got to kind of accept that it's fine. That's yeah. that's my process. <laughs> I mean, figuring out your process is such an important, like, <laughs> an important thing and something that I think it 
very early writers maybe have this idea that they can speedrun that. And, like, mm-hmm. some of some people can. Some people can just, like, read about somebody else's process or be told somebody else's process and, like, fully integrate that and just be off to the races. And that's great, and I love that for them. And I definitely mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, like pick apart their brain and figure out how they do it. Oh, no, they probably work, don't yeah. have anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot, I have spent a lot of time reading about um, other people's processes and I have found that useful because um, sometimes I'll read something and be like, okay, I don't think that would work for me and I'm right. And sometimes I think, oh, that wouldn't work for me and I try it anyway and actually it is useful or bits of it are useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but so sort of, combining lots of other people's ideas i think can be can be really handy um like you know the the murder board thing i'd done i'd sort i think i'd done a sort of reverse outline in in the past but i've not really thought about like doing Mm -hmm. the sort of the same post-it notes my version of it um and that's been incredibly helpful to try and think about it that in that more physical way Mm -hmm. um but there are other things that i've tried say as as outlinings or as kind of you you know write write your novel this way methods and that is just it just doesn't work with how i think and that's fine too but i I quite like trying things because you never know you might sometimes sometimes you don't know your own brain as well as you think you do and there's definitely Mm -hmm. times where you can like experiment and it turns out oh yeah this this is handy or a bit of this is handy or i have learned something from this experience yeah um and sort of you know iterating i oh i've forgotten there's something there's something i'm trying with the oh that's right with the book i'm currently working on I'm going to try doing a full from scratch rewrite for my second draft rather oh, than luck. like taking the first. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Rather because normally I take the first one and it, it gets chopped around a lot, but I do basically start with those words and then shiggle mm-hmm. them around and edit them and all this. This time I'm going to try doing a sort of doing, doing and having written my first draft, my messy first draft, I'm now in the throes of working out where the holes are and redraft, re-outlining. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I am going to try writing from that revised outline, but I'm going to try going from scratch because I've, several people have recommended it. Um, and I'm like, let's let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Either I've... it's going to be like genius or I'm going to absolutely hate it and never do it again. But either way, that's valuable information. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. <laughs> Maybe. I've, I've only <laughs> ever done that with a short story once or twice where... Uh, and, and like, the short stories I'm thinking of where I've done this, uh, none of which are are published, so I can't, like, point to them and be like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, come to the Patreon for, uh, if you sign up for the Patreon, you can get an exclusive look at the first draft or whatever, so I should, I should really, mm-hmm. you know, sell one of these stories so that I can do that, but... Uh, in in the cases where I've done that, it's very much been like, a, uh, you know, I, I like the central thesis of this story, but I have put the wrong characters in it. And mm. I, 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 I've touched on this a, a couple of times, I think, before in the, the show, but like my first, like, five or six years of being a writer... I was fixated on, like, one very specific urban fantasy universe with a fixed set of characters about whom I knew startlingly little, considering how many words I had spent on them. Uh, and, And every story that I thought of my brain was like, ah, yes, and this is for these characters. And then eventually mm. came to the realization like, oh, no, this is, this works a lot better if it's not about these things. Like, this, mm. this doesn't have to be exploring issues between a child and their parent who they're distant from. This can just be a meet cute between two people who are entirely dissimilar to the original characters, but can still have the same basic DNA, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, some someday, someday I will get that story mm-hmm. published and then I can then I can do the Patreon trick and and get a dollar yeah, yeah, from yeah. a couple of people. <laughs> um I I find the idea of doing like uh, that's a, a full rewrite quite scary because I'm like but my words my yes. words that I put already on the page. Um, but I'm... that's kind of why I feel I ought to give it a go like um, that that you know maybe I should be I, I it would be good for me maybe to be willing to say I can do this all over again and it'll be fine maybe I'll yeah. get something out of it. It, it is very we'll see. <laughs> difficult to stop being precious about your words and also mm. it's very freeing when you figure out you know even even if it's just like for a fleeting moment that you're like mm-hmm. oh I don't have to be precious about this thing because I'm not throwing away the old things I wrote. I'm just writing mm. a new version, of, you know. It's it's not like oh, I'm yes. well, obviously over... I'm keeping everything. Like, yeah. I'm not deleting it, that would be absurd. <laughs> no, 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 we never delete anything. No, never delete. It's what cut files are for. Yeah. Um, so I, I just heard this, this very familiar to uh, people who grew up with the BBC... Uh, but very strange sound, uh, and this blue police box just showed up in in the room, the podcast <laughs> room. Uh, and I'm wondering if Hooray! we can take a step inside this time machine and go back. If there's any uh, advice that you wish you could offer to your past self, and by extension to uh, writers who might be in that same situation now. Well, I was thinking about this ahead of the show, and I think I'd. I'd said something to you on the google doc about uh process which we kind of just been saying this idea that you can it's okay to find your own process and other people's are interesting but actually Mm -hmm. the other thing that i um remembered as we've been talking um was about not being afraid of rejections Mm -hmm. Um, i think it took me a while when i started submitting short stories to stop taking the whole process quite so seriously Mm -hmm. um (laughs) Obviously, like you write the story, you send the story out, you want it to get, you you want somebody to say yes to it. That's that's fine. But mm-hmm. if this is an industry in which that, if you want that to happen, you are going to need to accept an awful lot of no's. Yep. Um, and I think when I was first writing, I was a little bit like I would send the little story out, and then I would kind of sit there and stare, <laughs> stare after it. Um, <laughs> And you kind of just when need to like forget about it and get on with the next the one. When will, when, yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you kind of need, I think, to just dismiss it from you know track it, keep keep track of it wherever you please, but dismiss it from your mind. Start mm-hmm. on the next one, send that out, um, and try. I mean, obviously, it's always a little bit sad when you get a no back, um, mm-hmm. but I started the the way I finally kind of got over that, like. I'm going to sit here for a week feeling sad about it, um, was a couple of years ago, I gave myself a challenge and my challenge for the year and my challenge was to get 50 rejections for short stories. Hell yeah. Um, And uh, because it worked for my brain anyway, surprisingly well, because it meant that I would get something back with a no and I'd be like, yes, another tick on the chart. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also encouraged me to send it out as quickly as possible so that I could get my next tick. Yeah. Um, and if I got a yes back, then I didn't get a tick on the chart, but I got an acceptance. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you can kind of, for, for me, I'm the sort of person where just being able to like put another tick in my, in my list of, of uh, 50 rejections was genuinely motivating because I'm extremely mm-hmm. motivated by ticky boxes. Um, but if you are the sort of person who needs a bit more than that, I think any kind of reward can help. Like I'm going to have a lovely cake for mm-hmm. my rejection. Um, but the idea that I was actually, the idea that I, what I was aiming for was rejections freed me up a lot. And I actually did get four acceptances that year, which is I think the most I've ever got in a single year. Fabulous. <laughs> because turns out if you're just sending the thing out or things out all the time, more of them get accepted, mm-hmm. which is like it's not not a surprise mathematically speaking um but i was i what was a surprise to me was 
the how mentally powerful that was um, as an as an approach. Mm. Um, and that would say that was two or three years ago that I did that. Um, I have been concentrating slightly more on longer stuff uh, the last couple of years, and I've written written a few short stories, but not as many. So I haven't had that kind of high target. Um, yeah. But the the sort of the the um, attitude has has held over. Um, and I'm now much more kind of sanguine about, oh, it's another no. Oh, well, let's try and find, let's turn it around, get it up to somebody else. Um, yeah. And as you know, as per the title of this podcast, sometimes you do wind up trunking stories and deciding either, you know, I've sent this to so many places, I've run out of places, or certainly for me, I've been sending it out for two or three years because some t- places have such long turnarounds. Such long. And then two or three le- years later, I know, and two or three le- years later, you look at it and you're like, actually, you yeah. can kind of see why it's not got anywhere now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I might rewrite this someday, but for now, I'm not actually sure I want to see it in print anymore. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I want to, piggyback on this because this is a piece of advice that just occurred to me uh and it it is a very um of the time machine segment i think the best advice i can offer anybody for how to not get quite so broken up over rejections is to start start submitting short stories when you are a teenager and just like Mm -hmm. be fully in that emotional moment and have a huge cry about every single rejection you get for the first (laughs) dozen or so (laughs) and just feel absolutely hopeless about your future and have somebody tell you you are a literal child and it will be okay you do not have to you know publish before you Uh, turn 20. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that really helped me a lot in in retrospect okay Okay. I, I was going to say I started much later and that's not true. I was writing in my kind of, as, as a kid and in my teens, but I didn't start seriously uh, writing and submitting until I was 30-ish. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the very first story I submitted anywhere got accepted. It wasn't, um, it was in a like a, a non-pay, it wasn't in a paying mm-hmm. venue. Um, and it wasn't actually speculative, that one. Um, but I, it, yeah, I just kind of was like, oh, I've written this thing. I guess I might do something with it. And, and then I got it, it got it accepted. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, yep. That did not happen for the next story. Let's be very clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite a yeah, few I stories had, after uh, that didn't happen at all. But that was, that was, a, that was a very nice moment. I've still, uh, it's still up there somewhere on the internet. Nice. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, the, the first story that I, I, uh, sold quote unquote was to a, a non-paying market and it was uh i submitted that flash piece once and it got accepted and it Yay. went up uh a couple of weeks later i think i did not even know that it had gone up the day that it went up because uh <laughs> because they did not tell me when it was going up one of my <laughs> friends just like messaged me and was like hey i really loved your story that just went up uh this was on um no not daily science fiction 365 tomorrows i think okay yeah yeah Yeah, uh Mm -hmm. back in back in the days when that was a uh market that one of the places you could follow their work uh follow their the pieces they put to print was on live journal so oh wow okay yeah yep dating myself a bit there (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yes a a link i stand by this story i think it's a very nice little flash story a link to it will be in the show notes uh excellent but it is yeah it was it was one of those things and you know i it i wrote it as an assignment in a class Uh, i was in a creative writing program in undergrad at that point and uh you know our our my professor for that class was very uh is a working writer and was just Mm. an adjunct professor and so uh she was very gung-ho on submit your work and get rejections and that's uh, that's that's great professoring there (laughs) yeah 
honestly one of the best professors I had in the four years of, of undergraduate education that I had. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Shouts Ooh. to Lockie Hunter. I don't know if you're listening to this, but, uh, you know, I, ho- I hope your ears are burning at least. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, before we kind of wrap up here, uh, and we've already talked about the city revealed, is there anything else that you have out? I know we uh, mentioned that you work with the Chip Cup Collective, for instance. Uh, yep. Any any other yep. work that you have uh, out that you'd just be very excited for people to know about? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I With uh, Chip Cup, um, I have a book out um from Robot Dinosaur Press, which is called A Starbound Solstice. Um, and it's a little sort of festive queer novella um, on a spaceship, as you might guess from the title. We love it. Um, and uh, it's I, we're recording this in December, and it's, it is very much the kind of thing that I you know, feel that people might like to read with a nice cup of your hot beverage of choice and a blanket Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, in the, at this this very dark northern hemisphere time of year, if you're in the southern hemisphere, maybe wait until um, June. Yeah. <laughs> and I, this, I think this is going to come out in January, but that's still pretty dark and cold. So I still it think that, still despite the fact that we are now past the solstice, you can still tuck yourself up with your hot drink of choice and a blanket and read a nice fluffy um, space romance. I uh, so, yeah, am I'm going to go and I... download it right after we record this. Excellent news, thank you. Um, but yeah, so a Starbound Solstice um, from Robot Dinosaur Press. And I also had a short story in Uncanny Magazine this year, which I am really proud of. I was, I was such, it was such a dream market. I was definitely one of those emails that you're like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> am I reading this right? Squeak, squeak. Um so yeah, it's called At the Lighthouse Out by the Other Sea. And it's quite a sort of quiet story about uh, grief and community and um, identity and stuff like, stuff like that. Adore and it has a lighthouse in space. Yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Um, so yes, so it's a, got a lighthouse in space. I like lighthouses. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's on in Uncanny Magazine. And I guess I can send you a link to put in the show notes. Yes, I will... Uh... I, I I talk about this, I think, a little bit in a public Patreon post, even. I don't remember, but uh, I, I have... And I'm going to reveal it here now on the podcast because content and because it's <laughs> genuinely just a useful thing to know. Uh, I write all my show notes uh, as I do the editing. I just have a Google Doc open. I type out all the show notes as I am uh, doing my editing. And then in Google Docs, uh, if you just highlight a word or a phrase and hit uh, Control K, Super K, Command K, whatever the hmm. your uh, your operating system says for uh, creating a hyperlink, or if you right click and hmm. say Create Link, uh, in Google Docs it pops up uh, Google search results for Ooh. that thing. And then you can just, uh, and it has a bar where you can either enter the precise URL if you want to, or just enter a search term, and it will give you five search results. That is extremely useful to know. (laughs) It is revolutionized my workflow. It took my my whole production timeline down from uh, four hours to Uh usually two and a half to three hours of editing and show notesing. So, (laughs) highly, highly recommend. Excellent, excellent. That is is my time machine for myself. I wish I had known that when Mm -hmm. I started this show. (laughs) Um, Finally, uh, Semi, finally, before we go, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything that you've been reading, listening to, watching, playing, uh, particularly good tea you've been drinking, anything uh, <laughs> that you've been consuming that you just really adore and want other people to know about? 
Um, the the thing I have been spent most time consuming this year is uh, our flag means death, mm-hmm. um, which I sort of fell headfirst into and haven't really emerged again. Um, <laughs> I I'm, I a couple of months ago I, I finally made the pink breakup banyan. Um, <laughs> that's the sort of level I'm, I'm at the level of kind of fanish obsession where I'm doing sewing. Um, yeah, which, you know, yeah. enjoying things uh, anyway, a normal yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely normal. Nothing to do here. Um, so, yes. So if anybody listening to this by any chance has not in, yet encountered the, the gay pirates, uh, then <laughs> I can most highly recommend it. Um, although I feel I should also note whilst talking about queer pirates that the, the other queer pirates show, Black Sails, which I haven't watched recently, but have to, but did watch twice, two mm-hmm. and a half times, a couple of years ago, is also excellent, is also still available. It's not as funny. It's not funny at all. It's got a no, lot more blood in. <laughs> Very it's different. Fairly vibe. grim. But it is pretty grim. Um, but it is <laughs> awesome um, and totally pays off watching. Like the, in terms of the sort of the, the four seasons, they kind they really stick the landing. It really works as the mm-hmm. overall arc. Um, but yes, much much grimmer. Whereas uh, our flag means death. Obviously, is just is lovely, just lovely in so many ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, enjoying that, as you say, a completely normal amount. Um, <laughs> I've also started watching a League of Their Own, but not finished yet. Um, mm. But I've been enjoying it so far, and everyone I know who's watched all of it has enjoyed all of it. So I'm very optimistic. Yeah. Um, Just gonna watch stuff game I've media. Been reading. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, stuff I've been reading. I recently finished um, At the Feet of the Sun. Oh. Uh, by. Victoria Goddard, there we go, At the Feet of the Sun by Victoria Goddard, um, which is the sequel to The Hands of the Emperor, em- to The Hands of the Emperor, mm-hmm. um, which is this, I, I read it in ebook, so it, I know that it was very long, but I gather, I think if you read it in paperback, it will be like about a foot. It's just this mm-hmm. enormous um, book. It is sprawling in the kind of best traditional, most of those sort of, you know, 300k fanfics that you can really immerse yourself into. It's got mm-hmm. that sort of vibe. It's Another kind of politics and magic one and, you know, middle-aged people sort of finding themselves and working out who they are. Um, if you were going to start, we love start to with the it. hands of the emperor. Um, it's, but yeah, really, really good. Uh, and I gather there will eventually be a third, a third one. Um, and apparently it's going to take her a couple of years to write, which I think is very unreasonable. And <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she's only just finished one 300k book should not mean that she can't have produced the other one. Like, during the time Frankly, rude and homophobic right? to you personally. Yeah, absolutely. I'm shocked, shocked. Uh, but yeah, but they, they are great books and I really enjoyed them. And I've also been I'm in the middle of Flotsam by R.J. Theodore, who I believe was on the podcast recently. Yeah. Um, Flotsam's the first in a trilogy and the last one has now come out. So I'm behind, I'm afraid. I am behind hand, but that's all right because the words don't go anywhere if you take a while longer to read them. That's yep. okay, they're still there. <laughs> uh, yes. And we we uh, have so much love and support for Rekka's books. Uh, mm. They've also been one of my uh, most, most, uh, most returning and uh, most joyful guests to have on the show. So, Yay! Uh, <laughs> Excellent. You know, if... if if you're new to this podcast right now, I would highly recommend winding back and listening to all of our episodes. And then I was on their podcast twice to talk about trunking things and about starting your own podcast. Oh, excellent! I I listened I listened to the to um, Rekka's most recent instance of being on this podcast. Sorry, mm-hmm. that sentence went a bit wonky. Um. Anyway, I listened to that recently and very much enjoyed it that's why i was trying to say that good yes go and listen to it people (laughs) thank you (laughs) um finally before we go juliet where can our listeners find you um i am i have a website which is julietkemp.com um i am on twitter as juliet k although who knows what's going on with Twitter yeah, this will be this out in time. January, and Twitter might yeah, not exist anymore. Um, oh, it might, yeah. Uh, and I'm also now on Mastodon um, as 
at Juliet at zerk.us. Um, Fabulous. And links to that will be in the show note. So excellent uh, listeners don't worry too much uh maybe i'll be able to point folks to a, a good primer on the fediverse by then who knows mm. i'm i'm quite enjoying mastodon um, yeah it's a it's a really nice place to be yeah but yes it's but it takes it's a little bit of a learning curve as yeah. as with any new like you switch if you switch um any from anything to any other thing there's always a bit like oh this is button is not where i thought it was yeah um, but yeah, so that's so that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, Juliet, it has been such a delight to have you on the show. Thank you so so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It's been it's been smashing. I've really enjoyed myself. Yeah. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter, if it's still there, at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniex. You can also find me on Mastodon at hbbisniex at wandering.shop. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>